Welcome back to Turning Little Stones. Today we're going to hear from Georgina Hood, who runs Paint Pots Nurseries in London. I've known of Georgina for many years, but today I've had the luxury of spending the morning getting to know the distinctive way that she introduces heuristic play to young children who are accompanied by their carers and parents. Welcome to Turning Little Stones, the podcast that takes a fresh look at the fascinating world of young children. As a parent, experienced childcare professional and early years consultant, I get how much we dream good things for our children. We start out hopeful and confident, and yet somehow the daily reality can feel more like a grind than a gift. And so we easily miss out on the joys of these fleeting early years. Over time, I've come to realize that to give our children the best start in life, we first need to recognize what's going on inside them in secret. There is some great research out there, and my heart is to make some of this relatable for everyone. And so throughout these weekly podcasts, I hope that whoever you are, parent, family carer, childminder, practitioner, anyone who spends time with young children can take a moment each week to reinterpret what our children are doing and why. And by doing so, I have seen countless exasperated, bewildered, exhausted carers become re-energized and inspired as they find easy ways to connect with what their young children are naturally eager to do. A little like turning over a pebble in a rock pool to discover a hidden world tucked away. We too will look at our children with fresh eyes and delight in being part of their journey. Thank you so much, Caroline. So, gosh, so I have been doing paint pots, well, running, working with children since I was literally 19. Um, And it's something that I had a very strong feeling that I wanted to do, and I wasn't quite sure how it was all going to work out. But, um, yes, so now you forward rind and paint pots, Montessori schools and creative classes have been going since 1988. So I think that's about 35 years now. And I would say that for me, when I look back now, it's really been almost my own personal development. And during that time, I've got married. I've had four of my own children. My oldest child is just 26. And the first treasure basket that I made was for her. Um, Although I'd already knew about the work. um, And um, I actually contacted Eleanor Goldstein, who invented, came up with the whole concept for Inner London Nurseries. And my only regret, and I don't have many regrets in my life, is that I didn't meet her. It was all correspondence and um, post by post and uh, telephone. And I asked her permission to change the class, the, the treasure basket, from the way she had introduced it at that time in so Danish. So she's nurseries. written some books, hasn't she, about it? She'd sort of started off the initiative in the UK, at least. Exactly, yeah. and I think it was raising standards in day nurseries, particularly yeah. in inner cities. Yeah. 
Um, and I suppose that's where I went with it, was asking her permission. I mean, I didn't really need to, but it felt at the time really important to have her blessing to create a class which was maybe less so f um, for working in the nursery at that point and more for working with parents working in partnership with parents and with because of the age group of of using treasure baskets from sort of seated five or six months you know that time still feels you know even if you're just on maternity leave is a very precious time so I wanted it to be in line with the other classes that we were running at Paint Pots for preschool, pre-nursery children and their, and their carers, because I think what makes the Paint Pots classes rather than the nursery schools unique is that it's always with accompanied with an adult. So it's exploring alongside, really taking them on that developmental journey with a very light touch um, and when it is the parent, it's having that luxury of, of, of named special time um, to go on that child development journey with your young baby um, and having fine, you know, making it fun, having a laugh, making it joyful. And if you've had, you know, come into the group and you haven't slept last night or you've been up several times, weaving it together with the music seemed a very natural way but because we only have in the way that we've introduced the treasure baskets blended into a class we have a, a 50 minute class we want to zap everybody into the zone which is why we use aromatherapy um, diffusers and we have usually quite set types of music that we use um, that are, are, are played week after week due to sleep times we have the slightly older babies the 12 to 18 months so the more the toddlers I suppose we should call them um, come to our class at 9 30 so many parents it's after school drop-off time and that's um, yeah baby baby on the move and music Love it. So we will refer to the, the other one later, but I just want to refer the listeners back to, I think it's episodes four and six, where we, we have talked about baskets of treasure, both how to make a basket of treasure and then introduce them to your child for the very first time. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about that because I love your take. I love the way you do this. It's, it's distinctive, it's different, it's very special. At the end of um, episode six, with Emily, um, who had never come across Treasure Basket, she asked a question which was, okay, this is, this is great for now, but what happens for my older child? So this is a very natural follow-on from that. So I suppose that's, that's where I'd like to start with that first group. You've got the aromatherapy, you've got this beautiful music, but actually you'd set, you'd set the room out just amazingly, actually. So I, th I think the easiest way how I try and describe even to parents or carers before they come to the class is that the treasure basket is like you've been to the market and you've got your basket and you're carrying your fruit and veg home. And the heuristic play is like you're visiting the market. 
So we have mats on the floor that are, you know, for a, for an older child would then become the, you know, almost like furniture, and the the babies can um, crawl around or if they're beginning to walk around the mats. So the the treasures are displayed like like a market. Yes. Um, and in groups. So rather than with a treasure basket, let's say you might have one metal bowl. Yeah. In the heuristic play class, you need volumes of stuff. Yeah. So you'd have more pieces of metal yeah. so that they can choose how to develop. They've already worked out through mouthing the objects with the treasure basket of what it is, mm -hmm. what it tastes like, what the texture is, what the weight is. And with the heuristic play, it's like, well, what can I do with it? Yeah. And when we're laying out the um, the treasures, the, the pieces of heuristic play, we try not to have any end result. So you'd have maybe a pot of lots of wooden spoons, let's say, or some pans or something, but not having something where it looks like it's a toy where you have to get something right. The end result isn't that there is no end result because it's an open-ended question what can I do with it so for example you had a big bag of great chunky beads and necklaces all sorts of different ones but actually the child that opened that and discovered them it was just a it was just discovery and then she did with them what she wanted to do at that point in time yeah and what I, the only conscious thing I would do when I'm laying out, let's say, metal bangles, for example, is I might put them in a soft bag or a wooden bowl. So you're not just keeping all those things together. You're, you're mixing it up. Mm. And one or two things were outside as well, I noticed. Ribbons, for example, in a bag or in a basket. But then two of them had been laid out on the mat so that the child could kind of know what was nearby. Yeah, so, so it's almost was like a teasing explore. invitation. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, look, I can see that poking out from there. Let's pull it and see ooh, what, what's going to happen next. Is it going to, are there more things in there or is there something completely different in there? So the child is asking at this point, which you've just said, what can I do with it? So they've, they've explored it when they were younger with the treasure baskets and now they're looking at what they, can, what they can do with it. There was a little girl in that group who discovered um, some drawers. You just got some very bland-looking wooden drawers and one of your members of staff actually half-opened the drawers just teasing, inviting, giving some curiosity to that. Um, and, and she toddled over and loved those drawers and tipped things out and put them in different drawers and just loved it. So, yeah, what can I do with it? And they're, they're what the children become, like at the beginning in the first class, it's a little bit like letting them loose in a sweetie shop. You know, there can be... Um, you know, just the overexcitement of just moving from one thing to the other. Um, however, because we're running it in a class situation, it's unusual that we'd have everybody new at the same time. So they're able to watch the other children and also the other parents and carers. I think an important thing to mention at this stage is with the treasure basket, the, the parent or carer is sitting very close, passively supporting the baby, 
Whereas in the treasure bath, in the heuristic play class, they already know the room, they know the smell, they know the music. Within reason, they know, you know, what to expect. And we, lay, we put the cushions for the adults to sit a little bit further away, around the wall, um, because we know that we've laid out everything very with care and we know where the risks are um, and we're, we're, we're holding the space for that. Um, so it's really important that the parents do sit back and observe and you know, have a time just to rest listen to the music enjoy the the smell of the aromatherapy and just have time to watch their child and see what they are interested in so the example you gave of the child going to the drawers and maybe finding some little wooden um, circles or some corks or something like that if she was going through a stage where she wanted to do posting or something she will naturally move towards using those objects in a different way and this is why where I stress again the importance of the open-endedness yeah. of these objects um, because you just expect the unexpected yeah. and it's just there's a beautiful array I mean, it, it's difficult to explain how richly diverse these objects are. An awful lot of them are wooden, uh, wooden base, but they're just, there's so much, and each one has a richness, and, and they can use them in different ways. Um, there was one little girl who was obviously into throwing things down, so she got a... I think um, a pebble or something, and she it clattered on the floor, and she really loved that. That oh, it does that, um, which I think Mum was a bit happier about because before that she'd put it was a large enough pebble that wasn't going to be <laughs> cause any problems, but she was putting it in her mouth. Mum was less sure about that, but I think. You had risk assessed everything. You'd already had experience with those parents so they could be reassured that everything was clean, everything was fit for purpose, everything was good for those children. Is that, and I think, so with, for example, the throwing thing, because we would be aware of where things may go, yeah. you know, the schemas yeah. that may develop like a throwing schema and not throwing something, gently educating everybody that it's not, they're not throwing because they're being naughty. They're throwing because it's like cause and effect. What, what will happen when I, when I throw this object in this way? If it then became something that was going to be a little bit disruptive for the rest of the group, we would gently move in perhaps with a basket, um, a beautiful African basket, you know, um, made with love, full of pom-poms that we'd already arranged so that if they really did, then we'd role model how you could extend that into throwing. Um, I remember we did have quite recently a little child that was really, had a really good throw and we later discovered that they had a dog at home and his favourite activity was to sit in the dog bed and throw the ball for the dog. <laughs> so for a toddler of about 11 months, 12 months, he had a very strong right arm. Um, but he got, you know, we that's where we, we developed this pom-pom box and that was, um, that was amazing to see. And then, of course, other children are intrigued. Um, so there's that mirroring side 
another side that I love, I don't know if you saw it today, was we have some little, tiny little bells, almost like a little old-fashioned bell that you'd ring if you wanted help with something. And we have a, three, a couple, four or five bells. And often you'll see one child open the lid, maybe a little like a wooden treasure box, and find the little bell inside. And then another child from the other side of the room will be be doing something else but watching the child and then find another bell and you have this sort of echo effect where one child rings the bell and then the other child echoes and rings the bell so there's a lot of opportunity for you know the social side of that so in the show notes um, we're going to pinch one of your photographs of how you lay it out in this lovely horseshoe shape with mats and all the resources, as I say, those rich, rich resources. Um, but can you tell me what you perhaps have learned most about the value for the carers uh, or what they can gain from it, as well as clearly what their children are gaining from it? Yes, so... What I've noticed over time is when you're naturally moving from using a treasure basket and used to sitting very close to your your baby while they're investigating the basket, it's really important for this to work for the adult to give the children space now. So when they first come, um, it's really, I suppose, looking at is it because the the the, the the child needs that reassurance at the beginning. But as soon as they're engaged in something, I gently encourage the parent right there and then, just move back towards the wall, sit on a cushion um, and just observe, be there. And often at the beginning, the children, almost like a baby bird, will start bringing little pieces from, you know, that they've discovered back to the parent. And I say, encourage them to just say oh thank you and just not do anything with it not model what they would do with it like clinking it together or pretending they're eating from a bowl with a spoon and just then wait for the child to either show them how they would use those objects or hopefully that they will return to the horseshoe mats to investigate further what what they can find and what they're going to do with it with the market so you're talking about who's who's taking the initiative here and it's always the child absolutely and it's just a fabulous time for parents and carers to see what their children are interested in and i think you know and sometimes when we're running the sessions in this way i will gently pip in with a couple of invitations oh look at that isn't this a great opportunity for you to think about what you could bring down you know bring into the playroom or the front room or wherever you know with um extending what you're seeing your children are interested in um when we I love it when we have grandparents and and people visiting and because I always think this is what we used to do the generations with pots and pans in the kitchen and that's really what what this has extended into but having time where you're giving yourself permission to actually sit back and let somebody else be in charge of checking your child is safe and everything's going well and just observing what they're interested in and seeing that perhaps something that you didn't ever imagine that they would play with, that they're, you know, really engaged with and able to concentrate for quite a long time. And also, the other thing I've noticed over time is whereas 
developmentally, we're told, you know, that children play alongside each other at this time. Parallel play. Parallel play. Yes. That actually with this sort of work, with a group of children who are together for, say, 12 weeks, coming once a week, um, it escalates that time of, of actually collaboratively working together, actually taking initiatives from each other and, and copying and sharing in a way that you probably wouldn't expect for children, you know, between 15 and 18 months. I saw that this morning. So many of those children were actually looking at what the other children were doing and almost gaining permission to to go and do something themselves. No, it was really lovely to see. And I think the other benefit with that is with the group that we have, um, most of those children are probably hearing three languages at home. And so to have that commu those communication skills, those non-verbal communication skills so young are incredibly helpful when, you know, maybe at two, their language might be a little bit, you know, not, not emerging quite um, as it would if you were speaking one, one language. Um, and they're able to negotiate rather than have confrontation, um, probably in a, in a more peaceful way. Yes, yes. But we are not saying don't speak your home language at home. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> Completely no, the opposite. I, yeah, yes. Yeah. And then you moved beautifully into a tidy up time that is not a tidy up time. You know, most people will be familiar with... Um, I don't know, a preschool setting or, or even at home. Come on, it's time to tidy up. You didn't do that. It, uh, it just emerged through song. That's right. So the other thing I would say is we try very hard not to, even though for this session that we're discussing, it's usually 50 minutes. So we, we can be very um, individual with how we use that time. So if there is a session where everybody is completely engrossed what they're doing... The, the two um, practitioners will, will sort of look at each other and go, let's, let's give them another five minutes or maybe even another 10 minutes. So we will give them as long as they can for that, that time to, to have that. But as, as a rough guide, and, and equally so, if it's um, maybe the second class of the term and they've, they're, they're looking a little bit fidgety or like we will naturally move in sooner to what you're describing which is just keeping it very soft and gentle, um, very slow and bring out, we have a, a bigger box where we invite everybody to gently come and carry something um, or, or even sometimes the parent might need, feel the need to pick up their child and do it in that way. Um, and we sing everything, yes. So we would sing gently um, you know, this is the way we tidy up. Um, or then we'll sing that we're putting um, little cushion spotting down so that the, the children have a visual um, sight of where they're going to sit. And we encourage the parents or carers to bring their own cushions a little bit closer. So but everything's make just... Make a circle, yeah, you Make sang. a circle, make a circle. Everything just... And, you know, that's so useful because parents say, oh, gosh, it's so great. They just sing that at home when they're doing 
everything. And I just think if you sing things, it just feels, you feel happier while you're doing it. Oh, and it, it's a direct line into children's consciousness mm -hmm. that somehow the spoken word can be filtered out, whereas music just gets gets through to them yeah i i love that and and i also love the fact this was real music it, it 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 was beautiful music you had you are a guitarist and and a lovely singer but also one of your members of staff is a professional musician so things are well played well sung really really lovely um, and then everything else after that was just through song. You, you introduced, I suppose you'd probably call them nursery rhymes in different ways, but everything had a prop for the children to engage with each song. Explain what you did with um, the ducks, a, a song that everybody knows. <laughs> so first what I would say, I think what... Um, I learned from going to visiting a cerebral palsy school some time ago was really for us to be thinking about when we're doing something, why we're doing it and what we want to get out of it. Mm. Um, whether that's at home, you know, just with, you know, uh, let's say reading a story or singing a song, what, you know, what's the main time? And with nurseries, I think I've got a bit of a pet hate of where, you are doing having singing or using props like you're you're asking me to say about the ducks um and you're conscious you have to stop between every song and give something back and you think well for this age group no you just want it to feel like it's a continuing like stirring a big pot of soup you know that it's all just moves slowly into the next section so we have little cloth baskets where we have the basic props that we're going to use so the and we when we're running the groups with the parents we always have something for them so if we had a shaky egg we'd have one shaky egg for the child and one shaky egg for the parent so two shaky eggs in each cloth in this, basket exactly yeah and then we might have like a castanet um uh, that might be used for a horse song or maybe to mimic the sound of a quack quack as you click the castanets together um, so that the children so there's no we always explain that there's no right way so if we're singing a shaky egg song and the child wants to use a castanet you know there's no problem with that and they certainly don't have to share it or give it back or take turns because the main part of this is just for it to be weaved together so that everything is is we're all one together and it just moves on and even the order of the songs will be slightly orchestrated by the interests of the children um but to create the the map of that we have a green rug that we keep in the middle which looks like a field it, uh, yes <laughs> it was beautiful it's uh, like a, a bath mat really it's exactly it? it's just a square big good size mat where you could fit easily probably eight children around the outside so if they want to come into the field as we call it they're welcome and then we have a knitted blue um, pond that we use that gets put on the on the field. And then we have a large collection of different ducks. So everybody gets the opportunity to have their own duck. Um, then we will model the the song, the three, and choose 
bring all the numbers down so maybe you you know like you might sing 10 green bottles yeah. we we've got three ducks yeah. because it, otherwise it you 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 lose concentration so with that age group we don't usually go above five you know counting above five but usually when we're using the props we would have three of something so and you're also counting upwards as well so when when one duck doesn't come back you're still counting one two yes. so that that sort of the 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 patterning of counting is is still there but using your visuals yeah it was lovely and we always count in duck as well so you'll go one two quack quack because i always think it's important to give the props a voice as well <laughs> <laughs> love it love it the whole thing was just astonishing yeah these these songs they were oh, i don't know probably about seven or eight as you say they they blended in they you know we know that children like repetition but you didn't repeat the same song over and over and over and over again presumably many of the songs are repeated week after week um, so that's how children are getting the repetition. Yeah, so we always have, because we run classes for older children as well, um, I'll usually, to keep it fresh, because we're, we're doing quite a lot of classes a week, we'll have what I call our bread and butter songs, mm -hmm. which we all, always know the children expect and they have the props for. Um, but we'll also have um, more like a pick and mix of ones that we would choose, like today we did the... The mirror song in a little bag, which was one we made up. Yeah, you know, I, I I've not come across that. That was lovely. Um, or you know, with the little ones, always have something like a which is um, that bounce along a bouncing mm. song, mm. Um, which is actually based on a Hungarian folk song. So we do really think about what style of songs we're using, and also to always bring in a little bit of a theme. So today it was based on the book Brown Bear, Brown Bear, and we, we used our magic apron with the props for that. Um, another favourite that I love is during the autumn, we have a large collection of squirrels and hedgehogs, and we use our beautiful scarves to be the leaves falling from the trees, and then the hedgehogs... The, the squirrels living in the tree and looking for their nuts and using the props as the nuts. And we weave it then into a whole story about the tree, the squirrel, the hedgehog. And we go from doing props to then the children and adults feeling comfortable enough to actually be those animals together and just have a laugh, have fun. It, it, it was, it was glorious. And you got mums bouncing up and down with their children and it was, it was lovely. And of course it was on the back of everybody being relaxed because of the earlier session, well, the, the same session, but they'd had 30 minutes or so focused on these beautifully rich resources. So actually the, the song, the music is on the back. Everybody's ready. It's, it's different, but everybody's relaxed. Everybody's engaged. Every What a lovely way of creating circle time. I mean, there are so many, so many settings, so many organisations and groups that struggle with circle times um, because possibly their children aren't in the right place for circle time. And we're expecting our children to sit still. I've heard 
I've heard in different contexts, people say, well, they're going to have to sit still before they go to school. That doesn't mean we have to force them to sit still in a circle. We have to lure them into this, this, these circles. We, we've given you a sit spot, which is beautiful, and, and all these wonderful things are happening. There weren't any children today that were remotely disinterested because because you'd created, you'd, you'd set the scene so well. And I think that everything is very transferable that we do in this way that we're describing into either a preschool way of having just small groups, you know, within what within the, the work cycle time, the time that the children are there, and also the home. It's just having the opportunity, and I think the, this this time does give some of our parents that opportunity to think about, okay, what could I, why have that book at home? Yeah, um, and I've, I, think, I think they really do because you'll sort of say, well, look, and here's the book and this is what you can, maybe you could just use your teddy bear. So we try and give them ideas of how they could, you know, I don't know, like peace at last, how they could use a pan and a couple of teddies and do their own version of the story. And I think showing being vulnerable in front of those parents as well you know you showing your silly side and making the sounds of the animals and things maybe it just gives them a gentle invitation you know to 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 do that in the comfort of their own home um and when i know we've done a good job is when i hear them singing as they're going home as they're going down the stairs or getting their buggies and they'll suddenly you know, look at you and make a little wink and go this is the way we all you know go down the stairs or this is the way we get to the buggy and you think okay that's brilliant if they can just keep singing um hopefully everybody will just have an easier day this whole experience and it is different you know I've been to treasure basket sessions before and say we we introduced Emily and her her little one to a treasure basket for the very first time this is different this um I've not seen it before and it's really really special if you had any advice for people in early years or maybe a group of childminders, have you got any, any advice about how they might even begin to resource something that is as magical and as special as this and just start them on the road? I think, and we, we have had um, settings and people who've come to observe the classes, which people are always welcome to do. Um, I think also just putting together, you know, having, um, realising that you don't need a lot and you probably have everything you need in your setting already. It's just looking, you know, when you change the way you look at something, the things you look at change and they can be used for that name time in a different way. Yeah, or, naming the time. I yes. know you wanted to mention Yes, that. I think that's really important that, um, yes, but it's a bit like pulling out a magic um, rug, you know, to go off on an adventure. 
if we refer back to the treasure baskets again, if that's just used and it's out with all the best intention, it's going to get used in a different way. Um, and also it's not really safe to, to just be left for a child to use it. So it's much better that it is named time to use that treasure basket. If you're having baskets of other things, then they're more like sort of interest baskets or books of a book, a basket of books or things like that. Um, but I think it's important to keep that special named time. So, yeah, I know in our, in in our full day year round setting, we have um, heuristic clay time and we would lay out, you know, the tins and the wooden spoons and things in a different way than how they would be used, let's say in the kitchen or the home corner. Um, but it can offer, it, it's, it's wor well worth the time you take to think about it and plan it because the children will get engrossed and you'll have suddenly realised that you've spent an hour doing this, um, you know, which is very rich time for the children to, to enjoy. And I just also want to honour the fact that you've, what did you say at the beginning, 35 years, did you say? Yeah. You've been honing this. Um, so what, what I saw today was, was something that has grown and evolved over a long time. And you started with your own children because you wanted the best for them. You went to Mother Superior, <laughs> Eleanor Goldschmidt, and, um, and, and learnt from the best. And you've evolved it in this very distinctive way for paint pots. And I, I really hope that many listeners out there will want to look further into what heuristic play resources are, but also how, how to use them with children. I think there's one area we I would love to say a little bit about, which is children with additional needs or de or delayed development. Yes. And because we don't have to be, even though I know it can be a useful marker to say when you might start using a treasure basket or when a child may start to look differently at an object from what is it to what can I do with it. Um, but if you do have a child with... Um, a, a delay or with a special um, ability, as I choose to call it, um, these sort of sessions are magical because there is no right way. There's no... There, it's an open-ended conversation between the child and those objects um, and everything can be adapted. So I've seen that. I, for a brief time, worked as a portage worker um, in Kensington and Chelsea and, you know, you can go along with a, a small bag or basket of resources and leave them with a family for a short, you know, a few weeks to explore with things like this. But we've had quite a lot of children along the way who found us, families that have found us, and realised that whatever their age and stage, um, there's something for everybody with this sort of practice. Thank you so, so much for giving me such a warm welcome. Please thank your staff. They were brilliant. And, uh, yeah, look forward to... Well, I, I really do hope that listeners will take this on board and do something special for their little ones. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you for listening, and we hope you're left with some food for thought and ideas to try. 
You might like to subscribe to our podcasts on your preferred platform and follow us on Instagram or Facebook. And why not head over to our website, www.turninglittlestones.co.uk, where you'll find show notes for each episode, previous podcasts, blogs, and even details on how to delve a little deeper. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and let us know if there's an area that you would like us to cover. So finally, thank you for every like, share, comment, encouragement, and of course, for listening. Until next time, goodbye.